Welcome to Following the Way. We're a podcast that's all about following Jesus and learning his way for our lives. We believe that scripture reveals this way and invites us to follow. We're glad you're with us as we seek together. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this podcast. We have been going through the book of Hebrews, uh, seeking to understand it to greater depths and uh, using uh, this podcast to serve as a devotional tool or simply as a resource to help people better understand the book of Hebrews, which can be one of the most confusing and misunderstood books in the New Testament, as I've stated previously, simply because of the amount of uh, focus there is on the Jewish sacrificial system and the old covenant and a lot of things in the Old Testament that are very foreign to us in a 21st century Western context. And although, and, and as I stated, uh, I believe it was last episode when we looked at Hebrews 8, it is so imperative that we don't forget where our faith has come from, where it's based in uh, the 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 root that we are grafted into, which Paul speaks of in Romans, that uh, Christianity doesn't stand on its own. We have we have we are interconnected with the Jewish faith, and we serve a resurrected Jewish Messiah. And so that's something that's really really important to not for us not to to miss, uh, for us to state, and for us to understand. Um, to probably in the evangelical world to a much greater depth, uh, the importance of that for our faith and what Jesus did, what he accomplished, what he fulfilled. And so that is certainly going to continue on today as we look at Hebrews 9 uh, and we get into uh, looking where it speaks a little bit there about the earthly tabernacle and uh how that fit within the first covenant, but how Jesus came and again through the shedding of his blood, uh, how much greater the things that he accomplished and how much more necessary they were for us in order to have reconciliation and restoration with God. And so uh, we're going to dig into that today by, by looking at Hebrews 9. So uh, I'm going to start by reading the first bit, and then we'll we'll talk a little bit about this uh, to start. So Hebrews 9, it says, Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand, the, ta- the table, and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the Covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed, as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. This is an illustration for the present time. 
indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. So what what the writer of Hebrews is saying here is that the ministry that uh, the the priest had and the, and the high priest had uh, in the Old Testament in the old sacrificial system was simply a foreshadowing of what was to come. It uh, was not ever meant to be uh, the 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 true picture of of how God would have a relationship with His people. And I I think the the main point here to really grasp is that it says that. The, the sacrificial system was not able to, to clear the conscience of those, of the worshiper, of, of God's people. And that's, that's such an important point for us to, to recognize and to think about, that the sacrifice for sins, the sacrificial system, it was, it was only covering the people to a certain extent because of the holiness of God. It wasn't able to deal with their hearts and with the depth of the sin within them, which uh, that was what Hebrews 8 uh, really talked about too, was that God said that the promise of the new covenant was that he was going to renew hearts and minds, that he was going to put the, the, his law on the hearts of people. And so it wasn't just going to be about external cleansing uh, so that these people could uh, could actually worship and stand before a holy God. It was going to be much deeper than that. And so the sacrificial system, it's not that we should just completely disregard and not learn from it. What it, what it shows us is the extent of the holiness of God and the fact that the sins of the people, the sins that they were even um, ignorant of, they, they could only be covered to a certain extent in order so that the people could stand before a holy God. But it wasn't dealing with the root of their sin. And, and there was no way for them to actually be, to be totally forgiven. And so that is why it shows us the necessity of why Jesus came and, and really shows us the depth of why it's so crucial that we embrace uh, the, the need for his sacrifice and the need for his redemption uh, in our lives. It says that in verse 11, it goes on and it says, When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of the creation he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. 
And so this is really what it's getting at when it comes to the the depth and the necessity of Jesus' sacrifice, what he's done for us, what he has accomplished. The, the blood of the animals that were sacrificed by the priests, they were only sanctifying the people so that they were outwardly clean, so that they could have, they could stand before a holy God and not be, uh, not be destroyed due to the depth of their sin. And, and this really, this is, this is somewhat problematic for us because we don't deal with or think about sin in our lives or in our culture, even close to this depth. And we, and because of that, we also, we really miss the holiness of God and the fact that God is holy and that any idea that, that, you know, our sin isn't that big of a deal. We can kind of just pass it off and, and it doesn't really need to be dealt with or, you know, we minimize it. We, whatever, there's just a host of ways that we can justify sin. And, and, and one of the things that this is getting at here is that God is holy and the, the tabernacle and both the outer room and the and the, the holy of holies the most holy place what it signified was the extent of god's holiness and the fact that the people couldn't interact they couldn't have a relationship with god because their sin the sin that is inherently it's in us it's part of the dna of mankind it separates us from a god who is completely holy who is without sin where there is not not an ounce of sin within him. And so it was God's mercy and grace that in in his chosen people who were meant to radiate him to the world, that there was mercy and grace in that he provided a sacrificial system for them in which they could be cleansed outwardly so that they could stand before a holy God and be have relationship through the system. But it wasn't dealing with the depth of their sin. And that's why it, it couldn't clear their conscience. They, the people, it was like them coming and them sacrificing and, and the priest sacrificing for them. It just reminded them year after year, reminded them of the depth of their sin, even the sins that they were ignorant of. But it reminded them that really... They, they weren't getting free. It, it's to remind them, like, we've got this inside of us and we don't know what to do with it. We're, we're, we're cleansing ourselves because we recognize that we really have a problem. And so this is where the, the wonder of Jesus and the wonder of his sacrifice, it says there, where like, the, the blood of Jesus, who through the eternal spirit, the Holy Spirit, offered himself as sinless, unblemished before God, to God. How much more will his blood cleanse our consciences so we will not, we will not, our conscience will be able to be cleansed, unlike the, the old covenant that couldn't do that. How much more will his blood be able to do that so that we may serve the living God? And that's also an interesting uh, really imp- important point here is that our, the calling of those who've been cleansed by Christ, who, who've been, we've been redeemed and renewed and washed clean by his blood, the calling is to serve him with our lives because uh, 
we've been set free. And so it says, For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set free from the sins committed under the first covenant. And then it goes on, the writer says, in the case of a will, and he uses this example of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it because a will is in force only when somebody has died. And, and that, that makes total sense to us because that, that still is how a will comes into being and, and into, um, is, is set into motion is when a person passes away. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. It says, and then it it references Exodus 24, where it says, When Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. Now, you go, what? Like, he actually, like, kind of threw blood on the people. And you go, that's kind of gross. But... There was a really important point being made there, and that is that he said, this is the blood of the covenant, which God has commanded you to keep. And so it was a very visceral, uh, physical uh, showing that in order for sins to be uh, covered, in order for the people to be able to stand before God, it, it required the shedding of blood. It says, in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood, both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. And it says, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's verse 22. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. So again, it's going back and it's saying that that the tabernacle that was on this earth was only ever meant to be a copy of the true one that is in heaven. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. That, that's, that's also an incredible thing to think about. And there's, there's a lot of different um, views of this within Protestant versus Catholic theology. Uh, this is one of the reasons why um, Catholicism talks about um, when, when they take the sacrament or communion, that they believe that they're in the bread, they're taking the literal body of Christ in their mouths and, and his literal blood when they drink the wine or, or the juice. And, and we would say, we would understand this, this is where it's understandable in, in Protestant theology, that we're not, we're not taking Christ's body because he doesn't sacrifice himself over and over again. He doesn't offer himself over and over again like the high priest did with the, the blood of the animals under the old covenant. In fact, he died once. He sacrificed himself once for all. 
It says, and so it goes on, it says, then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world because of the depth of sin. The depth of sin, the seriousness of sin was such that if Christ followed the same pattern, the same model that, that was on this earth, the old covenant, he'd be, he'd be sacrificing himself again and again and again. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's actually a horrifying picture when you consider the depth of what Christ did for us. But that's not what he had to do. But now it says he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once. Again, that's, there you go. There's, there's, there's your basis to say uh, there's no such thing as reincarnation. We die once. We live once. We die once. And after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. There's, there's lots to, to unpack here and I'm certainly not going to do it all here in this podcast. Um, there is something profound in these verses that I think we're meant to see above all else, and that is the absolute sufficiency of Jesus' sacrifice, the fact that his blood cleanses us, that it is the greatest assurance that we can ever have, that we are invited into relationship with God, that we can stand before a holy God, which apart from Jesus is impossible. And it, and it really highlights the importance of we have to be forgiven there it's there it's not possible to try and think that we're going to attain salvation or we are going to be good enough somehow in ourselves or or we've made ourselves good enough or we've accomplished enough or we've done enough or we've we've done enough um uh, self um self-healing or, or self-awareness. We don't, that we've done enough of that in ourselves to make ourselves good enough. We need a savior. We, there, there is forgiveness of sin. The problem of sin that is rooted in our DNA does not happen without the shedding of blood. Sacrifice is needed and we cannot sacrifice ourselves Obviously, that is that is not the answer. It's the answer is not to try and find this within ourselves, or to try and somehow uh, convince ourselves that we're good enough, that we're we're good enough people. We need the sacrifice of Jesus. We need to accept it, and that's the beauty of of Jesus's sacrifice for us. Is that it's a free it's a free offer. It's an invitation. It's, it's God's grace and mercy. And he says, receive my son. Receive the way that I have made for you to have relationship with me. And, and, and the only thing that is required of us is that with, as, as gratitude, we serve the living God with our lives. We're called to serve him because he's brought us from death into life. It also highlights here the absolute necessity of not trying to uh, sidestep, justify, um, 
or uh, ignore our sin in our lives. Sin is a serious issue. It's an ongoing issue. The New Testament makes this clear. First John 1 talks about this, about how we, if we claim to be without sin, we actually deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He has some really strong words that, that we are called to walk in the light as God is light, as he's in the light. Uh, we are called to follow Jesus as he's in the light. And when we do that, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus is, purifies us from all sin. But to claim that we don't have sin is just utter foolishness. In fact, it says, if we conf- but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We, to claim that we haven't sinned, we actually, it says there, we make God out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. So recognizing that we have sin, admitting our sin, owning our sin, and dealing with our sin through confession, and James 5 talks about this, how we are to confess our sins one to another. We are to to actually walk in that light and in transparency and accountability with, with others in our lives in order so that we're coming clean, we're getting clean and we're, and we're, we're repenting, we're, we're walking in repentance and confession with others and before God. And, and, and so, and, and again, what we're doing in that is we are, we are stating and we're declaring, I need to be covered by the blood of Jesus. That's what I need. His sacrifice is enough for me, but I need to be honest about my need. I can't find the truth is not in myself. The goodness is not in myself. It's in Christ. His righteousness covers me. I put on his righteousness, not my righteousness. And so there's there's so much here to to contemplate, to unpack, to uh, to ponder and to think about and to to keep going on um, processing this for our lives. but but the great news is the level of um, of, confidence that we can have in our salvation, that there is assurance here that, you know, again, to, I think I've noted this previously as we've gone through Hebrews, but to, to, to doubt salvation or to doubt if we were accepted by God or to doubt if, if we have uh, salvation or eternal life is just, it's not in alignment with the gospel. We can have utter assurance in Christ that he is enough, that, that, that yes, sin is serious, that our sin is serious, that separation from God is a real danger if we reject Christ. But in Christ, accepting Christ, seeking to walk with Christ and walking in transparency and accountability with our sin, we're, we're covered, we're, we're saved. We have a savior who is, is, is infinitely greater than we could ever, ever imagine. And so, again, we're called to serve this God. And it says that he is coming a second time. Jesus is coming again. This is one of the core doctrines of our Christian faith, that Jesus is coming again for those, not not to, again, offer himself for the sins of people, but to bring salvation, to save those, to to 
bring about the confirmation and the full uh, redemption of those who are waiting for him. And in the in the Greek there, it talks about those who are eagerly waiting for him. There's this, um, in, in the way that the Greek is written there, there is a clear indication that this is about uh, be, having an eagerness, having an expectation um, uh, that Jesus is coming back for us. And Jesus himself talks about this in Matthew 24 and 25 about uh, being ready for him. He talks about that in the parable of the 10 virgins, that to be expectant and waiting for the bridegroom who's coming back for those who are ready. And so that's good news. That is, that's the good news of Jesus, that he is coming back, that he's saved us, He's redeemed us. He's made a way for our consciences to be cleared, for us to receive repentance, for us to receive healing for anything. There's nothing, nothing, nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Romans 8, I'm going to be preaching on that in a couple weeks. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Why? Because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And so, Jesus, I'm so thankful. I I just want to end this here by just just saying to you, Jesus, how thankful I am that sin and brokenness in our lives, the things that we have done willfully wrong, the things that we have done wrong that we aren't even aware of, and our inherent sin that we're born with and into, none of it can separate us from you because you've made a way. And I'm so thankful for that, Jesus. We're so thankful. We bless you. Jesus, help us to serve you with renewed minds and with hearts that are eager and expectant for your return. And in the meantime, who are longing and seeking and pursuing more of you and more of your presence in our lives. Amen. Bless you. Thanks for uh, being with us today. This was a bit of a longer podcast. Uh, there's a lot to unpack and to uh, to consider out of Hebrews 9, but I I hope that you were blessed and uh, Lord willing, we will uh, be together once again. 